Hello, everyone. Welcome in to Southeastern 14. This is going to be another episode of Jake's Takes, and we will get to our co-host and our friend of the network and of the program here, Jake Crane, in just a minute. But just wanted to remind you guys, hey, we're growing fast here at Southeastern 14. Always looking for people to partner with. Caroline.Smith at Southeastern14.com is who you hit up right there if you'd like to partner with us, be an MVP here of Southeastern 14. And then also, guys, if you want a delicious snack, hit up Chomps uh, in the description. You'll see that information, 15% off beef venison turkey lots of great flavors so check that out as well but uh without further ado let's get to the 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 man we're here to talk football Mm -hmm. with that is none other than jake crane jake we appreciate you once again man hopping on here with us no doubt man it's always fun uh ready to get to another weekend i mean it's flown by we're already this is getting into the second half here we're starting the second half of this sec schedule as every Mm -hmm. every team's kind of halfway through here uh, in league play Um, So, you know, I wanted to just ask you right off the bat with the way the SEC has kind of played out this year, who are kind of some of the most intriguing teams you see in the second half of the schedule? Well, you know, obviously Missouri comes to my head right off the bat, even though they lost that game to LSU going on the road and beating Kentucky six and one now looking like, you know, depending on obviously what happens, Tennessee and Alabama this weekend and then obviously Georgia and Tennessee uh, and then Georgia and Florida down the stretch. I mean, this is a team that that if we're gonna if we're gonna say Georgia's number one in the East, which I think is a pretty easy thing to say, even without Brock Bowers. I know we're gonna get into that later. Uh, but this Missouri team right now looks to me like the second best team in the East. Uh, the only thing that worries me is obviously their pass defense. Uh, that's gonna make it interesting against South Carolina coming up this weekend. But w- one of the best things I think if you're a Missouri fan that you could have taken away from the Kentucky game is you beat a solid Kentucky team on the road by 17 points, and Luther Burden didn't freak out and have an incredible game. You, you beat them with other uh, other players, which shows you how much of a complete team that Missouri is really becoming, or at least a complete offense. They've been pretty good against the run, not great against the pass, but w- without a doubt, I think Missouri is the most intriguing team You know that, that comes to me right off the top of my head. And then Florida, obviously, to stay in the yeah. East, uh, overachieving right now, and uh, according to what I thought, according to basically what everybody thought. Now, there's a heavy back into that schedule. Not that it wasn't heavy yeah. at the beginning, but it doesn't get any lighter for Florida, and a lot of moods can change if they fall off a cliff here. But give me Missouri and Florida. Yeah, I think when you look at the the schedule for Missouri coming up, of course, they have South Carolina tomorrow, uh, and then they also have, when it's coming to the rest of the schedule, they get a bye week after South Carolina, Georgia on the road. We know that one's going to be tough regardless of who's playing for Georgia or who's not. It's going to be tough. And then you have um, Tennessee at home, and they also have uh, Florida at home. So two key home games for them. We know Columbia, uh, Missouri is a tough place to play than they do have to go on the road to Arkansas. So I don't think you could ask for it to set up any better schedule-wise for Missouri in the back end. No, without a doubt. And if you think, I mean, in reality, this team was beating LSU at home 22-7 to at one point. Uh, and kudos to LSU for coming back. But same team, and I know Kansas State isn't the same Kansas State from last year, but they had that big win early in the season. And without a doubt, with the momentum that Missouri has, with the efficient quarterback play that they're getting, with the ability to hit you in multiple different ways offensively, if the defense can just find a way to plug some of those holes in the secondary, I think there's a really, really good chance that Missouri ends up finishing second in the East. And to be honest with you, Blaine, this year, especially with the injury situation right now, who the hell really knows, man? 
Absolutely. And the only, only concern I do have on Missouri a little bit, the last two weeks, even though they got they created some turnovers defensively, 6.4 yards per carry for yeah. LSU on the ground, and Kentucky had 5.1 yards per carry. Kentucky moved the football. They just turned it over. Yeah, well, I mean, Kentucky, to me, has one of the best running games in the conference when you look at what Ray yeah. Davis, the Vanderbilt transfer, has done over there. But, it, it, you know, and look, LSU, and I'm, I'm not trying to sit here making an excuse for Missouri's defense, but – you're not going to run into LSU's offense anywhere else right now. I think they can uh, do that uh, j just about against anybody, save Bama, maybe a couple other teams be able to run in a clip like that. So I think when Missouri's on more of an equal playing field with other teams, um, I, I think you're going to see them have enough to be able to come out in the end. Anybody in the West that – I mean, it, it, I'm intrigued, Jake, by you could legitimately at the end of this very easily have a three-way tie in the West. No, without a doubt. I mean, the wonkiness at the end is is what's the most intriguing. You look at LSU going on the road and playing Alabama. That's obviously huge. Uh, Alabama going on the road and playing Auburn. Ole Miss, right? Kind of sitting back there. We've seen Ole Miss have a really good first half of the year like they did last year, and then just, you know, the schedule gets a little bit more difficult, and, and they start racking up a bunch of L's. But I, I think this Ole Miss team is a little bit different. They're not as good up front on the offensive line as I thought they were going to be this year with what they had returning. But it seems, at least at this point, that Jackson Dart is not turning the ball over to intermediate defenders in the passing game. What I mean by that, linebackers, nickels, down safeties. It seemed that he would look through guys in the intermediate. You know, you're going to have those picks where you throw the deep ball on third and long, and it's basically like a punt. We've seen those before. But this year, he's really limited on making those mistakes toward the middle of the field and in the intermediate passing game. And that was one of the biggest adjustments that he was going to have to make coming into this year. Yeah, and you know, a lot of people had talked about, and I saw some press conferences, they talked about making some of these quarterbacks like Jackson Dart and also Jalen Milrow, who got who are guys who kind of have a uh, kind of a downward trajectory on their throws, right? They kind of nose down on them a little bit, and they talked about making them lift throws. Uh, and they do that with simulated pressures and stuff like that, just for X's and O's wise, Jake. Tell people when we're talking about making them lift throws and simulated pressures, dropping people underneath, what, what does that kind of mean when you're from a defensive standpoint? Well, again, you're, you're number one trying to get guys off their spot, right? Because you get them off their spot. It's just like in basketball. You, you get them off their rhythm. You don't want a jump shooter getting right to his spot and, and being able to, to shoot a shot that he knows all too well. It's the same thing with the quarterback. But you also want to give him a window that makes him have to adjust it from what would be a normal throw, a seven-on-seven yeah. seven throw with, with no pass rushes, we like to call it. Anytime you and, – and you work that as quarterbacks, right? We've seen coaches that have – those scout D linemen have those big cages and stuff that they put up top because that's how it is in real life. You know, every defensive lineman's not, you know, five foot 10. You got some absolute trees out here running around, especially in this league. So I think it's one of the most underrated skills for quarterbacks of being able to manipulate not only arm angle, we always hear, oh, he changes arm angle, oh, he changes arm angle, but ball angle. Sometimes those throws that look really easy that they complete, like over the middle. You don't get a proper respect for them until you get that behind view and you see what they're having to throw through. So anytime you're having to adjust, it'd be like putting putting uh, obstacles in a pitcher's way when a guy's batting at home plate. It, you're, you're typically less accurate uh, when you do that, but the great quarterbacks are able to do it. So that throw that Jalen Milrow made at the end of the game against Arkansas with pressure and being able to fit it over to Amari Nablake, that was incredible. That, yeah, so, that yeah. one that was ballsy too. That uh, yeah. you want you want to know if Jalen if uh, Jalen Milrose confident? Go go look at that throw. Go look at that throw. Yeah. That should let you know. That was, that was ridiculous. Um, you know, you mentioned briefly 
uh, Georgia, you know, of course, with Missouri there in the East, um, a team you got to watch out for. Now, Tennessee, of course, they they still have opportunities if they're able to to win, even if they were to win. And we'll talk about that Alabama game with them here in a minute. But Georgia's offense without Brock Bowers. Um, Jake, I, I feel like some of the talking heads out there, Heather Denich and people like that saying Georgia is no longer, in her mind, a top four team without Brock Bowers and all this kind of stuff. Do you feel like that's an overreaction, or do you feel like this Georgia offense is – how do you feel like they'll kind of go forward without Brock Bowers? Well, I, I mean, overreaction, yeah, maybe a little bit. I, I Look, any team that loses their best player, which I think we can all agree Brock Bowers is Georgia's best player, it's going to hurt you, right? But the luxury that Georgia has is you've recruited at an unbelievably high level. You're still going to have better personnel than 99% of the teams that you play, and you have Ladd McConkey coming back and getting healthy. But I think there is a logical argument that, that this takes away one of the most comfort, comfortable factors for Carson Beck, right? It, I, I don't use the word security blanket lightly. I mean, Brock Bowers, when push came to shove, you know who's getting the ball, and it doesn't matter if you know who's getting it because he's going to find a way to get it and make the play. You take that away – that changes the dynamic of, of how you approach the whole game, especially in a close game all the way up to the end. But I know Ladd McConkie will step up. The run game is right now what I think the run game is. The other good news for Georgia is that Carson Beck has a lot of time to throw the ball because the offensive line protects him really, really well. But now is the time you brought Dominic Lovett and Ra Ra <laughs> Thomas over. Not for this. You didn't see this coming. But this is one of the positive symptoms or positive offshoots of bringing those guys in is now you have experienced guys that can be playmakers. But the thing about that, Blaine, is they got to step up and start being the dudes. Like at some point, yeah. you got to come on. Like the newness is worn off. You transferred to our school sophomore year. We're going into senior year. It's not cool anymore to be new. You got to go make plays. Then you'll be cool again. And it's not like yeah. they don't have experience and experience in this league. So Georgia, unlike a lot of other teams, I'm watching Marshall right now without their star player, and they couldn't move the ball on air. So you, Georgia has, has a big luxury of having really good players, but I think there's a logical argument to be made. This obviously, in a year where they don't look like the most dominant team by a trillion, I think you, it's logical to ask questions and, and doubt the, the overall potential a little bit of this Georgia team without we, uh, Weapon X. No, I under, I understand uh, totally. Um, I did want to uh, talk a little bit about that the dynamic of one thing Kirby Smart said. Uh, people kept asking questions logically in the press conference on Tuesday. They they kept asking about Brock Bowers, and he got, he he made the comment. He said, "Hey guys, I think you think a lot of this about all these plays are Brock designed plays." He said, "Yeah, we've got some plays with Brock and money." He said, "But a lot of these plays," he said, "in our system, you can do it at eleven personnel." 13 personnel, 10 personnel, and 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 do so just from a system standpoint. I mean, are it will Georgia be able to stay with a lot of their concepts? You think in terms of just having other guys run it? Yeah, without a doubt, you're going to stay with your concepts, and and most of the time, you know, the, those concepts and those first options stay the same. What I want to know is how much of the game plan and those concepts were geared toward not only getting Brock Bowers the ball but using Brock Bowers as a decoy to get other guys to ball or uh, the ball or know where the bracket's coming. Because again, yeah. the three things that Brock Bowers brings, obviously his ability to catch and block, those two things together, there's just not guys walking around that can do it at the level that, that he does it at. The second thing, his ability to be a leader on the field and make the play when the play has to be made. And then the third thing, and one of the most underrated, is his decoy ability. If I know 
who you are trying to take away, I know who is singled up. I can go to my next best matchup if you're going to devote two guys to Brock Bowers. So, yes, they can. It just takes away, I think, a lot of first options and what those concepts are built around to work off of. Does that impact Austin Armstrong any in this bye week and leading up? Because I think Austin Armstrong might have had a better idea. Okay, here's how we're going to try to defend Georgia if Brock Bowers was in there. Now, without Brock Bowers, does that, you know, who do, do we double anybody? What what do we do? Like, does that, yeah, how does, I, I, know I guarantee it's you. Yeah, I guarantee you Austin Armstrong is not, not that he wants anybody to get hurt, but I'm guarantee you he would much rather have the situation of now we don't have to defend Brock Bowers. I think, yeah, yeah I, I, what I think it does is it has a ton to do with third down as well. Like how you call third down. Uh, you know, if, if you're sitting there running a lot of two men on third down, you're like, listen, Brock Bowers, whether he's in line or whether he's lined up in the slot or where they put him, we're going to shade to Brock Bowers now to, and, and, you know, basically put two people on a bracket, him, right? With two men, your man underneath. Safeties are playing halves, but they're going to shade to a certain person. You know who they're trying to take away. So I think it'll affect the third down play call. Maybe they'll blitz more knowing that, 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 that they may be able to get away with man coverage a little bit more as opposed to saying, listen, if we bring it and Brock Bowers is out on the route and he absolutely puts one of us in the pan and cooks us and serves us to everybody, uh, then I'm going to be 13 flavors of pissed. But uh, now I'm sure I'm sure Austin's uh, uh, not not – not down about not having to face no. Brock Bowers. And that cool. wasn't what I was insinuating. Yeah, I know. That's not what I'm you're saying. Wondering. But I, it's a great – not a, you know you know what I mean. It's never great when somebody gets hurt. But, man, your best player got hurt. Godly. Not, they're not – they're not – they're sad for the human being, but they're not sad for their game planning exactly right. for sure. Absolutely. Uh, Tennessee and Alabama, this has gone down to a eight-and-a-half point spread. I think it started at nine-and-a-half. It's up to 48-and-a-half. It was crazy, Jake. This summer, the over/under on this was sixty-six and a half, and then yeah. now it's forty-eight and a half. So it's changed so much since that very, very early line that was out there. Um, just your general thoughts on the game, and then also keys to victory for each side. How does Tennessee go into Tuscaloosa and come out with a win, and how does Alabama hold serve? Well, General Thought, these are two totally different teams than the ones we saw last year. I mean, you brought up last time I was on here the amount of explosive plays that Tennessee had hit through the passing game and really in general. Uh, and, and it was like 55 to 10 uh, as compared to, to 2022. They showed the ability to, to be able to run it on AM, which I think if you can run it on AM, you can run it on anybody. Now, I will say that AM game was at home. This is on the road. We know how Alabama is at Brian Denny. It's not exactly a walk through the tulips. Uh, but I'll tell you this much. The key to victory to me for each team is actually very, very similar because I know Jalen Milrow is young, but there's a lot of similarities to the way Joe Milton's effectiveness through the air goes and the way that Jalen Milrow's go, right? They're up and down. I think Jalen Milrow actually is a better deep ball thrower than Joe Milton. He may not be able to throw at 90 yards. Right, he may be able to hell it's Jalen Monroe, who knows? But he can he he can really throw the deep ball. And there is you can see that nuance, that capability coming on in the intermediate. The more experience he gets, you know, you brought up the throw against Arkansas there late. Um, but I don't believe that that Tennessee and Joe Milton have the ability to convert the third and mediums that they're going to be in. Right, I think you're going to get a lot of third and sixes. 
I think you're going to get a lot of third and sevens around there. And even when Tennessee does move the ball and gets it into the red zone, I don't think they're going to be able to score touchdowns. They'll kick field goals. So to me, the key to victory for each team is which quarterback is able to make the routine throws routine, especially on third and medium. And I will lean Jalen Milrow in Alabama over Joe Milton in Tennessee, who lost a lot at wide receiver too. I mean, we, we can't understate that fact as well. They did lose a lot. Now, what could affect maybe some of those routine throws for Jalen Milrow is that Alabama's dead last in the SEC and allowing 31 sacks, and Tennessee gets after the quarterback, yep. son. I mean, they really do. Do you feel that Alabama maybe is this we, – they, we haven't seen them do a whole lot of max protection and stuff like that. Do you think they do some of that? In order, I mean, still take their deep shots, but definitely use a tight end to chip over there at left tackle, a running back, things like that, to prevent James Pierce, Aaron Beasley, Tyler Barron from just getting back there to Milrow. Yeah, I think they'll test it out early. Uh, they'll be able to see if if they're able to pick it up. I mean, if if you're having to max protect, you know, when they're bringing four four guys, then then that's a different story than having to max protect. You know, when they're bringing five, they're folding guys in, they're bringing a lot of pressures, and you're able to get those true one on one matchups because it's zero coverage in the back end. Here's how I think it's going to go. I think both offenses are going to struggle a little bit early. I think this is going to be more of a low scoring game, but over the course of four quarters. I just do not believe that Joe Milton is going to be able to throw Tennessee and make those throws, like I mentioned on those third and mediums, third and longs, to be able to continue drives. At some point, Alabama may, may get stopped three, four times in a row, but they're going to hit that big play. I don't care if it's third and 15 uh, or if it's second and one. They have found a way to make explosive plays when they've had to have them. I think they get up on Tennessee, and Tennessee has to start throwing to get back in it, which is not a good recipe. I think Alabama wins this one around 31-14, 31-17, somewhere around there. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I think that, Jake, when you look at these teams, they are – you go look at all the advanced numbers and metrics, they're very similar in how they want to play football. Yeah, yeah, think, they are. The, the difference is Tennessee can run the ball. Alabama hasn't been able to do it. Um, yeah. I mean, Tennessee – Tennessee, when you look at, I mean, you rolled up 240 yards on the ground against A&M, who may have the best front seven. I think A&M, Penn State, and Alabama, and then I think you can still throw Georgia in there, the top four. I mean, Michigan, you know, they're close to up there, but they're not as dominant on the dominant on the defensive line as they are the offensive line. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, I wanted to ask you a little bit about, uh, I, I had to look up what this one was called. I figured it was going to be called something since the, the home city of both teams is Columbia, but it's the Mayor Cup over there for South Carolina and Missouri. Yeah. Uh, they, I thought, it, I, I didn't know if it was like key to the city or whatever, but it is the Mayor Cup, and you've got South Carolina going on the road to Como uh, to take on the Missouri Tigers we know that Shane Beamer uh, broke his foot earlier this week, and that you can feel free, please feel free to expound upon that a little bit. But uh, I did want to talk about this game. If the the now crippled, uh, newly crippled Shane Beamer and the Gamecocks are going to go on the road and pull up the upset, pull off the upset, how do they go about doing, and what would that look like? Well, it's a very narrow path for South Carolina to win because they're not good at too much outside of Spencer Rattler's you know ability to throw the ball. They struggle to run. They struggle to stop the run. They struggle to protect the pass. They struggle to stop the pass. Uh, for South Carolina to be able to win this game, I, I really think Spencer Rattler's going to have to throw for 400 yards. I think it's going to have to be a game where he goes absolutely nuts through the air. Uh, I know they've been beat up out wide, but but you know, Leggett, some of these other guys are going to have to make some incredible plays, have some incredible games. They're going to give up a lot of points to Missouri. I'm just telling you right now, this Missouri offense with Brady, you know, someone cooked here. 
uh, is absolutely electric right now. And Luther Burden, after not going off last game, means he's due to go off this game. And against South Carolina, he's probably licking his chops. Uh, so it, it's a very narrow path. You're going to have to get at least, I, I would say, two turnovers on defense, make a, one big special teams play, and Spencer's going to have to throw for 400 yards. Any concern? Uh, I know that they obviously Florida didn't run the ball on South Carolina very much, and Florida's a good good running team. But they but they did throw for four twenty three. Yeah. So even if Cody even if Cody Schrader is out for Missouri, he's very questionable with a, that pulled quad, and they do have a bye week coming up next week. So you know, ideally, they'd probably love to sit him if they could. But even if he can't go, uh, any concern in terms of you know Missouri being one dimensional or is one dimensional okay against South Carolina? Uh, no, I, I'm not. I mean, South Carolina devoted a lot against the run. I would have done the same thing against Florida, make Graham Mertz beat me through the air, right? Doesn't look smart now, but uh, you know, I don't think anybody thought Graham Mertz was going to be playing like the way he's playing after looking at how he played at Wisconsin and, and the way that went down. So no, I think this Missouri offense is so versatile. I think that's their biggest strength is their versatility. You know, I mentioned Luther Burden, um, you know, not having an incredible game last game and then still able to win by 17 on the road against Kentucky. So no, I'm not worried about it. Now, you said not smart. Uh, something that's not smart is kicking an object and breaking your foot. And I know you've went, yeah. uh, you've went off on that a little bit, that it wasn't necessarily that because people are humans and they have emotions and they do things. But it was kind of how Shane Beamer handled it afterwards uh, in, that you kind of had took umbrage with there. So yeah. let us know your thoughts about the whole Shane Beamer, emotions, tantrums, all this kind of stuff that people are accusing him from. Where, where do you sit on all this with Beamer? Well, look, I, you know, I'm always honest with you. I tell you how I approach it. You know, how it's going right now for South Carolina, it's, you know, not exactly all rainbows and, and Skittles. Um, if we're winning and, you know, we're sitting here at, at five and two or, you know, whatever, four and two with a couple big wins. Hey, I'll tell you. Hey, I got mad at practice. Kicked something and broke my foot. You know what the fans are going to say? That's how much he cares. That's why we're winning. Because our guy cares that much. He wants practice to be so perfect. But now, since they're losing, you have a lot of people like, God, it's so childish. He'll never be able to get it under control. He's too immature to handle this program. You know, when you're losing, you don't you don't tell him what. Hey, lower body extremity. Or, you know, make up something cool. Man, there was a grizzly bear attack. I had to fight it off. You know, something like you just, you don't need to tell him like, my, my uncle has a great saying. He, he told me, he's like, listen, just because you can say something doesn't mean you always should. You got to be able to read the room. Right now, the room said, uh, hey, uh, lower body extremity. Uh, don't worry about the details. We don't talk about injuries this early in the week. What was your thoughts on the post-game press conference where they asked him what was wrong with the defense and he basically went on a minute and a half tirade of how his defensive players didn't do what the what the – coaches told them to do which as a coach i was told you know yeah. hey if your players do something you're either coaching it or allowing it is what i was told and he basically no, admitted that, hey that's exactly right and and listen there's times where stuff gets called in and, and they don't run it I, i'm not even saying he's wrong but again why you know there's a question you should always ask yourself when you're dealing with the media as a coach is what i'm about to say going to help my team if it's going to help my team, in my opinion, then say it. If not, don't say it. I just don't know what you accomplish by going to the media with that. You know when you say that? During the meetings. You say that when you're addressing the team. Hey, one of the reasons we didn't win is because we're not doing what's called. All we can do is call it. You don't go to the media and say it. Uh, just again, just because you can say something doesn't mean you should.
And then uh, the last one, a little bonus I want to throw in here, a little sneaky game. Uh, of course, Ole Miss yeah. and Auburn, you got the uh, you got the the Hugh Freeze Bowl, which I will I will tell you, I've <laughs> I think Lane Kiffin has shown tremendous restraint and hasn't uh, said anything about Hugh Freeze on Twitter this week, which is a lot of maturity there for Lane. That that's gone a long way, but he has gone a off real with thing the, too. If he crosses that line, though. he's not making fun of like you know like Eli Drinkowitz's glasses or something like that. Yeah. He's like, yeah, he's, he's like, getting into some real stuff there. But, but if you're talking about, he did go off on the old uh, Cam Newton dab deal with his son t- tweet and all that kind of stuff uh, back, back when he was at Alabama uh, and they, they, you know, took down, uh, took down um, Auburn back then. So Lane keeps it interesting, but will this game be interesting? Can Auburn, who is only, you know, five and a half, point uh point underdog at home mm-hmm. do you think they can keep it keep it interesting in this game do you think they'll play a little bit better at J- jordan hare stadium yeah they always do i mean you look at the way they played against georgia uh the, the question is over four quarters you know can auburn put the whole game together and be able to finally pull it out in a big game at the end when they're in it close not that they've you know they did it i wouldn't say at cal was exactly a big game it probably is because it's so early in freezes tenure but the, the, the worry I have about this game from an Auburn side is you don't have any pass rush. And Ole Miss is, Ole Miss is able to run the ball, right, with Quinshaw Junkins. He's at least going to get some. I think Auburn will be somewhat stout against this run, but I worry they're going to get Ole Miss on a lot of third and predictable passing downs. But since they can't get a pass rush, they can't get pressure unless they bring pressure, and that exposes you in the back end. I don't know how long they can hold up. And then offensively, they haven't shown the ability to be able to score enough against a defense that both their eyes and ears work um, to be able to outscore a team really in a track meet like Ole Miss if they can't get to the passers. So I think Auburn can win it because it's at home. We know how crazy Jordan-Hare is. Uh, the, the personnel is closer than it was in, in Georgia and Auburn, but it's going to be really tough. I will say this, though, Blaine. You know there's always those one or two games a year where Lane's teams don't show up against a team that yeah. they're better than. You know, this could this be that? I don't know. Uh, kind of smells like it. Yeah, <laughs> he's you calling the shot. Are you calling it? Um, yeah, we're not. This isn't an official pick on the show. I'm telling you, I, I think there's a good chance Auburn wins this game. Hey, it, Auburn at home, man. I I didn't experience until a couple years ago. I went over there to to cover a game, and it's I was weird. on the field. And and Jake, I could. I could literally, with those speakers they have on the field, and then also the 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 crowd there. I mean, you could literally like it was like shaking in there. It was so loud. Oh, it gets live. It, it gets live. If, you, if you've never been to a game there, regardless of what you think about Auburn, you need to go. It's a great trip. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, it's always a fun time uh, when Jake when you come on the show here to talk some SEC football. Um, tell everybody what kind of coverage you guys have going on this weekend on Craning Company, where they can find you, and, and yeah. all that good stuff, man. Man, we got that lockdown coverage. Uh, if you uh, if you enjoy this stuff like this, go over. It's it's on YouTube. Go to Crane and Company, C R A I N and Company. We're on Apple Podcast, Spotify. If you just listen, uh, we got some great merch too. A bunch of stuff you need to check out. We go live each weekday morning, seven thirty a.m. to nine a.m. Eastern, uh, six thirty a.m. to eight a.m. Central. We have live calls, a live chat. If you can't join us live. Catch us. We talk everything, all college football from across the country, NFL as well, and uh, just love it, man. If you like old school sports talk, come check us out. Sure, I love it when they, you have the guys uh, call in, uh, all the all the fans call in, because some of those oh, calls, dude. I mean, 
You, that, you think you think Feinbaum has some? Uh, the, oh, these man. guys have now em, are emboldened. It's like it's like Blaine Crane and Jake Crane are both. You know, are kind of y'all are like their personal hype men. Y'all, while they're on the call, you're like rooting them on to get. Oh, get dude, look, it gets it get, We play a game called Let's Get Emotional, uh, and we'll put theme music behind it because they'll just start. It's just and you know, it's not like a bunch of screaming either. They're not like screaming, but it's like there's some real deal good trash talk situations going on I, I think you'll enjoy it please uh please insert a couple of uh shane shane beamer like quips and press conferences into the lead in for let's get emotional that, oh dude oh hey. for sure i will without a doubt i'm always down get to get some, emotional especially get spiritually those, emotional those. that's just a different level but i don't know if there you're you ready go. for that there you go. He, he's gonna get old school shouting and screaming over here no, uh, yeah. but are playing with jake crane Oh, no doubt. Tambourine? You go to a tambourine, we're like, no, Steaks sir. This a tambourine is not sounds like church. an incredible time. Whew, spring break, right? Uh, guys, if you want to follow Jake on, on X, formerly known as Twitter, it's at Jake Crane underscore. You can follow Crane Company using at Crane Company. Uh, follow me using at B Gilmer 18 and follow Southeastern 14 using 14 Southeastern. We appreciate everybody tuning in. We will be back next Friday, each Friday during football season. Jake is here with us on Jake's Takes on Southeastern 14. Make sure to check out Chomps in the description. And uh, guys, we will. Be back with you. We'll have some live reaction stuff this weekend as well here. So check out Crane and Companies, and then make sure you like, uh, subscribe, turn on notifications with us right here. And we will see you guys later on here on Southeastern Sports.